Ladies and gentlemen, rebel scum and loyal to the Empire, this is Sith Talk, the show where we talk about Star Wars movies, Star Wars books, Star Wars comics, but specifically, and a, a lot for the last couple of years, Star Wars TV. I'm your host, Zach Chrisman, a.k.a. The Lord of the Lore, and joining me today is Brandon. We don't have Lindsay right now. She is off on a mission um, of saving people. She's doing good things, but she's just a little bit busy. And we will uh, we'll be talking to her soon. Uh, Brandon, how are you doing? I'm good, man. I'm happy to be here. Definitely missing Lindsay, but I think we're going to have a lot of fun. It's cool to record in the morning sometimes because like, I have a cup of coffee here and everything. And it's like, this is a, podcasting is a good way to start the day off. I think we should just do this every day. Well, and it's like for those of you who don't know, um, we normally record at like night. And that's fine and all, but that's like usually the last thing in my day. And... There's certain times where I wish, like, there's certain conversations we've had, like, in the past where I've wished, like, ah, I wish that was the first thing. That way it wasn't, like, gearing towards the end of my day. Like, everything is firing on all cylinders to talk about these certain things. And, like, one of the discussion, I mean, lately, just what I've been Star Warsing and doing, I wanted to make sure that we were actually, like, good, good for it, not not because of any reason, but just I, I've been really excited about Star Wars. There's been good shit going on with Star Wars. And um, what have you been? I'll ask you your question because I don't ever ask it unless you're around. What have you been Star Warsing? Because I know and the reason I don't ask it is because I people don't always people aren't always like on the like Lindsay isn't always just doing Star Wars stuff. So I don't ask it. But you, I know you are. Yeah, man. Uh, right now, a lot of High Republic, which I know we're going to get into uh, a little bit later. And I just uh, rewatched season two of Mandalorian. I'm gonna re- I rewatched that. I'm going to rewatch Book of Boba Fett um, to kind of refresh my memory to uh, get ready for season three, which is going to be fantastic. So it's been a lot of fun just like going back with those characters and not really watching for any reason other than to enjoy it. Like I'm not looking for symbolism. I'm not trying to find like deeper meanings or anything like that. It's just like, all right, cool. Let's just watch this and enjoy. Like yesterday, uh, I just sat and watched the Luke episode. And I mean, I just sat there going, this is, this is one of the greatest 40 minutes of television ever created period full stop. Like it's even like the Luke stuff, you know, is cool and everything like that. But even before that, it is just a, pure piece of craftsmanship by John Favreau and Dave Filoni and everybody involved there. Like it's so good. Yeah. My, my problem with Mandalorian right now is I can't, I can't bring myself to watch it until it's right up to the show, right up to season three starts because then it, it starts to feel real. And I, I have such a love for Mandalorian. I I'm, I'm really weird about that stuff because it's like the Luke episode is my favorite episode of TV ever. And, and the time, like that first watch with my buddies where we had no idea was like one of the best times ever that I've ever had. And I watched it a million times for like the entire weekend and probably a couple times the next week. But then after that, I shut it down and I, I haven't picked it up since. And the only reason I do that is so that I can savor it. So like next time I watch it, I'm like, oh man, I remember this is so awesome. This is so great. Um, 
And so I plan on doing the entire Mandalorian run through right before season three, because I just, I can't get myself that hype because then I'm just going to be feeling like I'm standing in the desert with nowhere to go. Yeah, I kind of want to do another rewatch and actually start with season one um, and go all the way through Book of Boba Fett again, like before. All the way through. Uh, yeah, all the way through, like leading up to Not just the two episodes of Bryce? Not just no, I, I want to watch. I want to watch the full uh, the full series on Book of Boba Fett because one, like Boba Fett's going to come back, but I I enjoyed that series a lot, and it just has the feel of of you know Mandalorian. Even when Mandalorians the Mandalorians not in it, it feels like that part of the the universe and stuff. And so just kind of like you were talking about to kind of marinate myself in that feeling, uh, getting ready for for the release on March first, which is going to be wild i mean we're gonna have bad batch and mandalorian at the same time for a couple weeks which is just like that's my fandom right there it's like okay we're getting like grogu and star wars animation at the same time like possibly ahsoka in there in season two of mandalorian we don't know uh or season three rather oh so ahsoka's gotta pop up it's called promoting your brand like you can't just have one thing and then and then you're doing an entire series she's definitely popping up yeah, I I hope so, selfishly, but um, just based on what we know so far, I don't know how much the Force and the Jedi are going to come into play, but we'll get to that later. I know we're going to talk I, about I, the trailer in detail. Yeah, because I, well, I, yeah, I'll put a note in it for now because there's there's a couple connections of why I think that Ahsoka would, would be a thing, but with, you know, a Book of Boba Fett's one of those weird shows where I didn't love it personally. Um, except for those first two, or the, the two Mando episodes were awesome. I didn't love it, but I would be really, I'm still just as excited if they ever did a season two, because I think they're definitely going to change some things up. And regardless, I'm, I'm here for it. I think there will be a little bit of a change of like how he was in season one versus two. And I'm always down to see Boba Fett because that the episode, um, what was it? Episode, was it episode seven in season two where he, just completely or is it six it's uh six. it's six yeah seven is the siege where they yeah. go manda goes back to uh oh what's the what's the name of the planet navarro goes yeah. back to navarro and they they shut down the imperial facility and they see the snoke and everything yeah um but i've never seen that kind of action in star wars and uh, that's a way that's the way to bring a character back like boba fett that was the perfect execution um you know, I'm always going to be excited about using other weapons creatively and uh, beating stormtroopers over the head with gaff- gaffy sticks is like highlight of Christmas. I remember showing my uh, my father-in-law that and he was like, what? This is like John Wick. And I was like, no, it's not always like John Wick, but this is like John Wick. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah it's pretty it's pretty cool. And it holds up too. like that's a thing, you know, uh, sometimes you get action scenes like that and the shock of it is what's cool. You know, and it kind of loses its excited excitement over time. Right. Um, but this, it, it doesn't. Like, it's still kind of shocking to see that level of violence. Uh, and by violence, I don't mean necessarily that they, you know. It was done well. In terms of how they're hurting each other. But in terms of, like, you can feel the impact of every blow, like, while you're watching it. You just can, you can see how much it hurts. Um, and that kind of visual storytelling, the way that 
the actors in the costumes did it, the way that the special effects adds on the sound and the, you know, pieces breaking off of a stormtrooper helmet and different things like that. Like it all comes together about as perfectly as, as you could in a live action format. Like that reminded me of things we got in Clone Wars and Rebels where, you know, it's a lot easier with animation to do things like a, a Jedi jumping up in the air and cutting three Mandalorians head offs at the same time. Like right. those are harder to do in live action. They're possible. They're plausible uh, with the day and age we live in, but it's a lot harder. And so it's cool to see that in uh, the live action sometimes because it's just little things like that make it feel like more of a connected, everything works the same way kind of universe. Absolutely. And that's why we're going to have to put a pen in it now. Um, but we are going to talk more Mando, more Mando trailer hype stuff coming later. But just so we don't completely lose track, because there is something that I am super excited to talk about. And I'm just going to like, this is just a, like a light feelings of how we feel about High Republic Phase 2. Um you know, there is burn the sacred text for specific reviews. I am just going to put you on the spot live that if you ever need somebody to talk about um, a couple of the books, I would uh, be um, interested in talking about them in, in real detail um, because, uh, spoiler alert, I absolutely love Phase 2 of High Republic. And so for those who haven't checked out High Republic that are listening, again, this is just going to be like, a light conversation about how we feel of these things generally talking about the world as we know it some of the fun things that they're introducing and some of the characters um that we are interested in we're not going to go into like super crazy um details and spoil the entire books but um i was nervous i don't know how you feel about this but the way um what's claudius gray's last book i should have this prepared uh, the last High Republic book she did. The Fallen Star. Fallen Star. Fallen Star was my favorite Star Wars book to come out probably since Bloodline. And I was so excited. It even beat Master and Apprentice for me. And I was really excited for it. And when it ended and they said, okay, we're going to go back 150 years, I was like, wait, what? Like, I'm excited for that. But at the same time, it feels like we're stopping and the momentum of what I'm what I'm feeling for these characters and it ends on such a cataclysmic way. Where are we gonna be here? And I have been really tough to read Star Wars books lately. I've had a I've had a kind of a trouble reading the single stance books. I really liked uh, Shadows of the Sith, but it took me a lot longer to get through this to get through that book than I would have liked. And for no reason at all, I mean, just me being busy, but it, busy also factors into priorities. With the High Republic Phase 2, I stopped um, Cataclysm because Lindsay told me to go back to, and just start with Path of Deceit. So I stopped mid-book, and I started there. Phase 2 of the High Republic is some of the best Star Wars out there right now. Um, how do you feel... Um, where are you at with High Republic Phase 2? Well, I feel like I should preface this with like what my impressions of, of Phase 1 were. Yeah. Because I, I kind of come from a different uh, angle than you do, where you are all in on, on High Republic. I'm 
not down on it, but I like the one-off books that they've put out more. I like Shadow of the Sith and Brotherhood and Master and Apprentice and and stuff like that. I've enjoyed that more than the High Republic, which I've talked about over on, on Don't Burn the Sacred Text. But basically, it comes down to there's a lot of characters to keep track of, and I feel like not enough time with each of those characters to really get to know them in a deep and meaningful way, uh, which is kind of what I go to books for is the character studies and stuff, which we haven't really gotten to a great extent in High Republic until now, until things like Path of Deceit. Like, Path of Deceit is so intimately close with Marta Rowe and uh, the the Path of the Open Hand that it it is one of my favorite Star Wars books. I think it, it's absolutely insanely good. Um, it... it raises so many questions for me, not only in Star Wars, but just like in how our societies work. Like I, I've never really been into cults or anything before, you know, but now I'm fascinated with like, how does somebody get brought into a cult? And then also, how are we defining a cult? Like what, what's the, the difference between a cult and a religion, which I think is something they're kind of setting up by having Jedha be an important part of of phase uh, phase two by having you know the Jedi and the path of the open hand on these very opposite sides uh, where they have very differing views on what the force is or not what the force is necessarily but how the force should be treated and what it is able to do or shouldn't do and things like that so I've enjoyed it a lot um, I'm still you know kind of lukewarm on the high Republic uh, but I think they're leading somewhere. I think when I get the whole thing, I'm going to enjoy it a lot more because I'm going to be able to go back and, and reread and see those things. I think part of the, the thing for me is I just haven't had time to reread the other books. So that's made it harder to, to keep track of everybody and everything and stuff. And so uh, phase two, I feel like it is not going as broad with all these different Jedi and their apprentices and everything. We've gotten a few of them so far, um, but they've basically crossed over the books that we've gotten. So that's a little exciting to kind of make it a little bit smaller scale before it blows up into this big galactic thing. It becomes in phase one. So that's been really good. Um, and then right now I'm reading uh, the George Mann book, uh, The Quest for the Hidden City, and I'm enjoying that. You like it? Because I haven't checked I, that one out. Because I really it do. was more middle grade, I tend to not because I need like serious um, serious content or adult or young adult things. It's just, um, you know, Path of Deceit by Justina Ireland is the first book of hers that I've really, really liked. And it's just because she writes to a younger audience when she does. It has nothing to do with her writing style or anything that she's particularly doing. It's just those other books in that first phase one we're a little bit under for me, like when it comes to see, and that's thing. interesting and that's why I was because nervous. her books are my favorite. Like, Test of Courage and Path of Deceit are my favorite High Republic books thus far. Path like, of Deceit, and it's not is, even close. Path of Deceit, um, I I don't know if I uh, I don't know if I can give it my favorite. I think right now Path of Deceit and Cataclysm are on the same cl- close to the same terms because they're just different. Um, Cataclysm or Convergence. Convergence. Saying, my bad. Sorry, I keep. Yeah, no, I just wanted to. I was like, is there? Yeah, there's so many High Republic things. Yet. I was yeah. like, did I forget something? No, Catalyst, um, Cataclysm comes out in April because right. I actually have been studying release dates for this stuff now. Um, 
But yeah, I mean, like, that's like one of her first books that I've really, really loved. And the thing I like about the High Republic, uh, I I agree with you when it comes to dumbing, or uh, not dumbing, that's a bad word, Uh, rephrase that. Um, When it comes to making a smaller contained story, there's like kind of so far in this, this thing, there's really like kind of three planets that are really going on. And these characters in these three planets on the books that I've read and some Jedi that you meet in the, the other books kind of pop up and there's these little hints, but everything like kind of goes back to the path of the open hand. Um, and it, it all goes back to the Jedi and, and this philosophy of the force and these cults. And I do love cults. I've always loved cults. I've always read documentaries about cults, uh, or watched documentaries about cults. I am fascinated with this whole concept. There's a lot of questions I have on like, what is the grounds for their beliefs? But that's also kind of how these cults tend to work. You don't really find the answers until later on. Um, but we've learned we've learned a lot more about some stuff already that is affecting the characters in phase one, one being the leveler. We learn a little bit more about the leveler's origins and stuff like that. And I find it I find it fascinating and I love how it is smaller and contained because it's a lot easier to follow up. And I think if you're gonna go back, you need to kind of keep it contained so that these characters can find out some information that we need to know later on for our characters that we're going to be picking back up in phase two, which still makes me nervous, like how they're going to do that. Like phase two is going to be a brief period and then we're going to go back or like, how's that going to feel there's So there's questions, they, but yeah. Yeah. But I do like how they're setting up things. Like for example, you know, in path of deceit, we get a lot about how the path of the open hand is structured and works and it's very similar, almost like one-to-one, change the names a little bit and you're good to go for what the Nile will become. So they're definitely, they're they're doing a story that is a prequel to what we already have, right? Which is very much, you know, how the, the movies um, worked, where it's not about singularly setting up the, the originals, if you will, but you do, that is the big idea, is you are... P- showing the foundation of how we got the Nihil, how we got the leveler, how, you know, all of these things happened, but you're also telling a separate and unique story that can stand on its own, which is really interesting. Um, especially if we go, you know, back after fallen star for phase three, uh, I think there's a fourth phase also, but phase three, um, to kind of have the sequels there. Okay. You know, what are we, what are we really tying together? To me, they have to really make it worth our time to go backwards, you know, um, because we took so much time with these characters. Like in our universe, you know, it was a couple of years of phase one. And so we spent a lot of time with these characters and then we just leave them at like the worst moment of their, their lives at this point. And it's like, okay, if we're going back that far. What a value are we bringing forward? And I think that they're setting these things up. I I think, I don't think rather I should say that it's just about like, oh, here's how the Nile got started. And here's where the leveler was born. Like, I I think that there's a lot more that they're setting up there that's going to really change how we read phase one when we go back to it, but then also um, be vital for, for phase three. And that's, you know, that's part of 
of, of what's great about this is it's planned out. Like everybody is doing their own thing, but also knows what everybody else is doing. And so even when you're lukewarm on a book or uh, a storyline or whatever, like you see the interconnectedness and it, it gets you invested. Like I'm invested in the high Republic, even though it's not my favorite, um, I'm thoroughly invested in it and plan on reading, you know, all of it and everything like that. Um, because I know that the puzzle has already been built and we're just putting the pieces together right now. And that to me is a lot more exciting than kind of what we did with the sequels where it was like, well, we don't know what it is yet. And this is not to crap on the sequels. It's just personal preference of like, I I like having a whole big plan or a general idea. And then we go back and fill in the blanks. I plan my day out, man. I want to know my my Star Wars is planned out. Exactly, (laughs) exactly. But I think this is a perfect conversation because there's going to definitely be people that are listening that are more on your, your side when it comes to like, we like the singular stories like Padawan. We like the the uh, Leia and Han book. Like, and then there's going to be people that like me that are leaning more towards High Republic um, for what that is because the the reason why I really love the High Republic is um, it kind of starts with me being a little upset about the High Republic because when they announced the High Republic, I was like, dude, I'm so excited. This is going to be like their version of the old Republic. Oh man! And then I heard 300 years. And I was like, that is not enough time like there's no way that there's going to be sith involved how is this high jedi how are the jedi going to have threats that are real and they've done an excellent job at creating threats that aren't like like the uh what's the th- what's thrawn's like little animals that like block the force or the use of oh, they've come up they've yeah. come up with good ways of creating threats that are so much different than the sith um, that are so terrifying. Like to me, the leveler alone, the the it, it is such a terrifying and and it's a graphic. Like even when you're doing like a younger novel, these Jedi turning and turning into husks and being terrified and not being able to escape that fear. How are they going to stop that? Because in in the way that Phase One leaves off, these are like. Jedi Knights, Jedi Masters, and there's multiple of them, and none of them that have already passed have figured out. And when you look at somebody like Loden, who at the very beginning of Phase 1, Loden came across as calculated, wise, cunning, like, calm. Loden was like your ultimate, like, samurai Jedi Master in my brain. The way my brain works is Loden could shut down a fight but would not unless he needed to. He was very calculated. He knew how to handle these things. And to have like Loden end up that way and all the other Jedi that have died along the way, it's a scary threat. And there's only a couple of them. Like what happens if there's more? Like what is the secret behind this? I'm fascinated with Marcion Rowe. And the High Republic is the best surprise to me because it's so different than the Old Republic. And I'm so thankful for that because... I'm still getting stuff about the Force. I'm still getting my Jedi fix. Getting in the mind of all these different Jedis and the fact that different Jedi struggle with different things and none of them are perfect. And we're finding that out, much like we did with the um, Empire books uh, early on in the Disney canon, where we learned that some of these Imperial officers weren't bad people. They just got a job. They just started in this thing that they believed in and they turned out that it was something else. So we learned the individual individuality behind these organizations and I love that we're finding out individuality 
within the Jedi and where they kind of stand. And I find that they're all fighting for different things when it comes to the rebellion versus the empire. The rebellion is fighting against oppression. They're oppression. They're trying to stop the grip of this empire, and they're holding on so that they can have a better day. This this culture, this place where the Republic is right now, there are people who have hope. They're building their organization. They're starting the founding blocks, and they're hoping for a better day in different ways. They're they're building this this structure of hope, of trying to reach people across the galaxy, of trying to help. It's it's like kind of the same. It's still hope, but it's a different type of hope, and it's a refreshing type of hope that's different because they're they're fighting the same way, but they're fighting for different things, and and I love that, like the dream well, and, of and tomorrow. They... It's like Superman. It's like the High Republic. I I I would I would say like the Re- Rebellion versus the Empire is very much like like a Batman style thing. Like we're we're fighting and and things just keep happening, but like we're gonna keep fighting to save Gotham. Gotham needs saved. And these guys are much like Metropolis. Like, Superman's just trying to, like, keep the place good and hoping to keep this world a better place. And that's where the High Republic is. And I love that. Yeah, and all of them, you know, like you said, they're coming at at it from a different angle. And I think when you look at, like, the pantheon of what we have right now with Star Wars, you're still getting all the classic Star Wars themes that I feel like we need to to go back to you know things like family things like hope things like mm-hmm. uh, what's the the real difference between good and evil like where's that line at uh that you know we eventually cross you know how do we adjust our beliefs when we're given new information or what happens when we fail to do that like these are are very star wars things but we're getting them in such different ways so we're getting andor high republic Jedi Survivor, uh, Mandalorian, all of these things at the same time, uh, Bad Batch, that are telling such different stories in different ways, but they are all reinforcing those points about Star Wars. And, And to me, it's... I feel like I get the impression that as they are diversifying the type of stories that they're telling, they're creators are getting more freedom within those stories to develop these characters in in unique ways. Like in the High Republic, almost every Jedi that we meet has a different view of the Force and what the Jedi should be. And that, you know, in a time of air quotes peace is going to be different than like an Anakin who's raised in Ahsoka, who's raised in a time of war, you know? And, And we've spent most of our time with the Jedi in times of war or times when they were on the run. We haven't had time, a lot of time with the Jedi when things were at peace. And and so it's exciting to see how those views on the Force change, um, how the views on the purpose of the Jedi change. That's the part for High Republic that's most exciting for me because, you know, we talk about things like Qui-Gon being this, you know, the, the greatest of the Jedi or whatever it may be. And it's like, but why? And when I read High Republic, I feel like, yeah, Qui-Gon would fit in here perfectly. Like, he would – I know a lot of people say He'd he would be a, be a way seek. I think he would. I don't think he would be, honestly. I don't think he would feel the need to because I think – That's a good he, point. He believes 
in the Jedi in the prequels. Like I think he really does, but he's rebelling because he wants to set the Jedi back on the right course or at least not be a factor in setting them on the wrong course. And we see that eventually pay off with Luke. Um, I think Qui-Gon has a, a, a very high level of confidence in himself, not arrogance to be clear, but, but confidence. And I think the way seekers, while they're not, not confident, the way seekers go off to me to more find them. Yeah. Find themselves more. Like where do I fit in with the force? That's and true. I don't think Qui-Gon really ever had that. Where do I fit in the force question? You know, in master and apprentice, we get his challenge of like choosing between the Jedi council and what the force is wanting, you know, that selfishness, selflessness thing. But I don't think in the time of the high Republic, he would have been faced with that same kind of question. And so I feel like he would be, you know, a premier Jedi. I, I he would be with the Stellans and the, and, and people like that, that we got in, in se- or season one, in phase one of, of the high Republic. And I will actually, I will, I will agree with you on that because what Qui-Gon does is Qui-Gon listens to the force and what the force tells him and where he's at in that point of, of the Jedi, the Jedi are not like completely a lost hope, but they, they are very tied down to bureaucracy and codes. And, and they, these Jedi feel they go based on what the force tells them. A lot of them, a lot of them go based on how they're, what the force is guiding them to. And in fact, even in, uh, phase two, there's a character in this, in, in one of the books that you'll find out, um, has, uh, has kind of an expectation of where she should be. And at the end of the book, she actually doesn't do some things that she wanted to do in the beginning because she feels the force is like guiding her there. And there's support on the Jedi for her just doing that. There's a lot of support of following where the force takes you. And it's less like what the the codes are saying what where we need to guide as far as the republic it's very feeling based with these jedi and i appreciate that and i appreciate the fact that we are getting a time of peace because as much as i love the old republic the old republic is still war it's a different war but it's still like full-scale jedi sith war that's what it is and this is something completely new um on in the in the sense of just where everything's at, I've never seen a timeline like this in Star Wars, and I am a little bit tired of. And I, I've texted you about it, but it the High Republic made me realize that the reason why there's certain things that I'm not as psyched about is because I am a little bit over Rebellion versus Empire. I think Andor is a wonderful show. I think it's some of the, I think it is the best written. Star Wars material that we have gotten since the Disney, even though I like Mandalorian a lot more. Um, I'm just tired of the, uh, I'm, I'm kind of done with the, the, the empire versus rebellion stuff. That's why it's harder for me to get into these singular books. I, I'm a little bit done with, you learn more about characters and, and I do want to learn more about certain characters and stuff, but it's, it's kind of contained and confined and I've been, invested in this story for years and now that i got something new i'm like i'm praying that we keep in going in these directions of a newer territory to go because i really think like the next 10 years star wars has to find some new ground to go on because it it, it it's it's getting 
it's getting to the point where pretty soon here they're going to have to find something new because it's a bit played out and you might disagree with me on that. I don't no, I don't necessarily disagree. Like I still like content around that time. Um but I do think we need to to diversify more and I think you know, when you look at all the content we're getting in 2023, to me it's saying that we're we're doing that. Exactly. Um, because we're getting stories in different time periods. We're getting stories from different creators. We're getting stories with such different intentions. But they always come back to, you know, I, I always go back to, and the stories end up doing this, what Dave Filoni said of, like, George said everything that needed to be said about Star Wars in the movies. And that's not to say we don't need these other stories, but just to say that we need to stay at the core in line with the core text of of Star Wars, which is the original trilogy, right? If we're going to tell this whole one story. But that doesn't mean that we have to be stuck in that time. And I I think that there has been a reawakening of, of our generation of prequel fans that have, you know, gotten us more prequels content. I, and I'm looking forward to the day when the sequel generation comes up and, you know, you and I are, are the old hats and... The, the sequel generation gets their stuff, you know, their tales of the Jedi, their this, that, and the other thing uh, around the prequel era, or excuse me, the sequel era. So I think it's all cyclical and, you know, we'll eventually move away from the Empire Rebellion stuff as much. But I still think it's, to me, one of the things I look for in Star Wars the most is the interconnectedness. Uh, I, I love that. I know people, you know, complain about, oh, it, it makes it a smaller galaxy and stuff like that. And I can see that at times, but I think it's more about showing the different ways that these people and these characters, very much like we do in the real world, face these different questions and the consequences of our answers to those questions, you know, and so it all has a place for me, you know, I'm thinking about Padawan. And in Padawan, we get Obi-Wan Kenobi, and he is literally questioning whether he is supposed to be a Jedi or not. He's questioning uh, whether he actually knows how to hear the Force or whether he's just going on off on this mission he wants to go on because of his own personal will and things like that. And I connect that with High Republic because I go, okay, this is different than the questions that the High Republic had at a time of peace. Their questions were... How do I know if I'm connecting with the force properly? How do I uh, interpret the results of my listening to the force? It wasn't about whether I'm hearing the force correctly or not. It's when I listen to the force and something doesn't go the way I should, how do I uh, accommodate that into my understanding of the way that the world and the galaxy and the force works? And so, but you're still getting to the same point of like, what makes us a hero? How do we know when we're listening to something bigger than ourselves versus our own selfish will, which is at its core, the story of Luke and Anakin, like those are the battles that they face. So it all comes back together. But so, so I think to answer your question in a very long winded way, I think we're always going to have that foundation in the galactic civil war. That's always going to be the base that we leap off of. But if anything, high Republic is showing that you can, go off in different directions and still be able to reinforce those Star Wars themes and ideas that are so important. And even, you know, I'm in a lot of Facebook or Star Wars Facebook groups, and I really haven't heard anybody say bad things about High Republic. Like, I've heard a few people go, eh, it's not for me, you know, I, I, I like being 
closer with the characters we already know, blah, blah, you know, whatever that may be. But it's not the High Republic sucks or I can't believe people are reading these books or anything like it's not the normal Star Wars outrage when somebody doesn't like something, you know, um, and it was the same with Andor, too. So I think this is a sign that like we're maybe we're getting saner as a fandom. I don't know. Or maybe the content that that uh, Disney is putting out, Lucasfilm is putting out, is leading us in a direction where everybody who comes to Star Wars for whatever different reasons it may be can be fed. And I think they're kind of finally figuring that out. Yeah, and I think they're doing a good job. I think after I think that the after Rise of Skywalker, which I've been noted for not being a fan of um very much at all. Um I think that they've definitely adjusted to some things and have moved on since in ways that were executed really good. And that's that's what that's what makes Kathleen Kennedy good, like in all respects, is she did adjust and flip really good when it comes to moving Star Wars around. Yeah, I mean, and Star Wars is is an iterative text. It's always really easy for me to say, but it's always evolving and changing as we get new things, right? And so our creators should be able to do that too. Uh, I mean, as much as people praise George about, oh, he had this big grand plan, he he really didn't. With the prequels, he had a plan. Uh, With the original trilogy, he was going by the seat of his pants. Like, he knew what he was trying to achieve. He didn't always know how the story was going to happen there. Uh, but, you know, as it gets bigger and, and more diverse, you have to have uh, the ability to adjust and adapt your stories. You know, Kevin Feige has done this to, to almost a, a perfect level. You know, you think about uh, Black Panther 2 after the loss of Chadwick Boseman, like that should have that movie should have been DOA. You know, with how big Black Panther was in the cinematic universe, it's like to be able to turn around and make a story like the Wakanda Forever that not only pays tribute to to Chadwick Boseman, plays tribute to the character uh, that he played, but also develops the world in the story and and tells its own story where. You're never sitting there in Wakanda forever going, man, I really wish this was a Chadwick Boseman movie. Like, I really wish he was here. And that's not to say that he wouldn't have made a great movie or anything like that. Just that the movie that we got is still so good despite these obstacles. And it's because Feige has done a great job of developing his creators, um, building the world and things like that, that I don't think Kathleen Kennedy had to face before taking over Star Wars. Because she it's was never been done outside of Kevin Feige. With that and also, you know, like yes, she is, and I love Kathleen Kennedy. I'm much more of a Kathleen Kennedy defender than you are. And, but she's done, you know, a, a lot of the one-off movies, ET, you know, Jurassic Park, like these movies that change the landscape of cinema and change the way that stories are told, but never having to do anything to this level, and the only two people in the world who have ever really done that, maybe three would be Kevin Feige, George Lucas and JK Rowling. Like they're the only ones that have built, you know, that kind of world across multiple platforms, you know, because even Tolkien with Lord of the Rings didn't do it over multiple platforms. He wrote books and then other people took it in different directions. So 
it's it's kind of unprecedented territory in retrospect you know it's it's easy to see why some things didn't go the way people wanted them to go or maybe things weren't as cohesive as they needed to be i always say like they had no choice in making seven, eight, and nine, but starting off with seven, eight, and nine was also the worst thing that they could have done because there was no winning in that situation. Um, so they were kind of stuck at, at the beginning because it's like, all right, how do we, how do we actually execute on this? Like we have these ideas, but it kind of goes to the question that the High Republic asked that I don't think was really asked early in you know the creation of the sequels and and that time period when those were coming out is what is star wars that's what high republic people asked as they were starting to figure out what they wanted to write about and to me to kind of bring it all together and wrap it up i think the impact of the high republic is going to be felt so far beyond the books because i think they're going to see the success of how to tell these interconnected stories, having a long-term plan ahead of time and sticking with it, but still being able to be adaptable, different things like that, that I think, even though High Republic isn't my absolute favorite thing to you know come out from Disney, uh, I'm not as high on it as you. When I look at it on the bigger scope of things, it makes me really excited for what they're going to be able to do and what's to come now that they kind of not only have their feet wet, but they know how to swim. And I, I would, I would agree with that. Um, I would agree with that 100%. Uh, the High Republic, and people kind of get offended when I say it like this, but books are their lowest selling point. And they just are. They're not their biggest moneymaker. It's the movies, it's the toys, it's the TV. And I think this is the best way to do like a test, like a, something that is going to make you money. But it's a good testing ground of what things can look like. What a structured time period with characters that can continue on in different stories and and a connected uh universe uh even though it is a connected universe you get what i'm saying a connected timeline i think it's a good testing ground and i'm excited to see what star wars decides that they learn from this high republic area because it is fascinating and they've done a really good job building the world well and i don't think it's any coincidence that High Republic and Mando, both stories that are building their own little corners of of the galaxy are happening at the same time. Like, it's not coincidental at all. Um, I think you can see the threads of, of how they're pulling things together, how they're telling stories across these different platforms. You know, even looking at Mando, I wonder if High Republic didn't exist. Are they ballsy enough to have two Mando episodes in the middle of Book of Boba Fett? You know, like different little things like that. Um, I don't know. It's just, it's to me, I'm very excited. We we talked a couple weeks ago, Devor and Drew and I, and, and we debated what the best year of uh, Disney Star Wars was. And even though like I'm going to be a little bit biased when Ahsoka comes out, even if you take that out of, of the conversation, I think 2023 might be the best year um, of Star Wars that we've ever had uh, because of... of High Republic, Bad Batch, and and I know what we're going to talk about next is Mandalorian, which I'm super pumped for. Yes, I will agree um, with the sentiment of the moment Mandalorian starts, the the 12-month calendar of Star Wars is going to be absolutely awesome because we're still getting more High Republic, we're still into Bad Batch, but then now we're getting Mandalorian, Ahsoka, and then presumably we're going to get the Acolyte sometime early next year. 
And then, you know, uh, I, I mean, Acolyte we're going to be hearing is... a lot more about the movie soon, too. I mean, we know we are. They're, they're, they're doubling down on this David Lindelof thing. And I'm very interested to see what that looks like, too, because all the rumors are suggesting that it is post-Rise of Skywalker. And I'm interested to see where they're going to where they're going to take that isn't it kind of funny how like there's been no official announcement about his movie but everybody feels better about that movie happening than the movies that have actually been announced yes because (laughs) yeah i just can't help it's funny yes yeah because i mean like yeah i mean that's like I, I just appreciate David Lindelof's uh, the stuff he gets right he gets he gets really right I, I love Watchmen but it's also because it's it's projecting towards something in in the future something newer something you know like I, I was excited for Rogue Squadron I, I loved Patty Jenkins I didn't love the the latest Wonder Woman movie but I liked I liked what the uh, message was behind her little reveal and I like Taika but I'll be honest like I was nervous about Taika from the beginning with Star Wars and he kind of reassured me that he knew how to do things and then Thor and Love and Thunder came out and it was kind of a um a parody in in my opinion um so I I don't know what what's going on with Taika but the Lindelof thing seems like it's it's getting a lot of traction and sticking and I think the latest thing that I was hearing is like we're going to be hearing more about it in like April ish is when his we're going to be getting more kind of announcements. Yeah, on that. I honestly, think I think they're shutting down till celebration. Yeah, absolutely. But with that being said, let's talk into something else that we're really excited about, um, which would be Mandalorian season three. Uh, we got a new trailer, and I let's just open it up with you. You're you're the you're the guy. Like you're the Mando guy. You've been rewatching Mando and all that stuff. And um, what do you think? How do you feel? Well, here's the thing. So if if anybody's listened for a long time, you know most of the time I don't watch trailers. Um, if anything, I'll watch the first couple seconds to see if it feels like something that I'll like, and then just be like, nope, all right, let's watch the movie, see what happens. Um, I don't want to, to spend a lot of time overthinking what could happen in the, in the story and stuff, but I kind of, uh, evolved my option, uh, or my decision when it came to Mando, because I do love this story so much. Uh, and so... I decided, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to watch the trailer once and I'm not going to listen to other people's predictions and reviews of it and stuff. I'm just going to let myself enjoy the trailer and move on. And I've had a really good time doing that because just like everything, you know, with Mandalorian has just been done so masterfully. Like it, it I, I was saying, you know, John Favreau and Dave Filoni were great before, like, they came together and did this thing. When when they came together, I was like, this is going to be insane when you put these two minds together. Because they understand storytelling and, and cinema from such different angles and unique ways. Like, Favreau being an actor, director, writer, voice actor, like, he's done literally everything except for like Foley and and composing that you can do when it comes to uh, filmmaking. And then you've got Filoni with his experience with George and his experience with Star Wars and and animation and connecting characters together. It just, it was almost impossible for something like this to fail. But for it to succeed to the levels that it has 
is is mind-boggling and i couldn't imagine not watching the trailer like that's how good it was and for me it didn't really add a ton because we got a trailer uh, at celebration that we got to see at the mando panel and and i think that the, the one at celebration was better um that's what a lot of people are saying i wouldn't know but yeah <laughs> but here's the thing like I think the advantage there with with celebration is you know exactly the audience that you are showing it to. So you can do things differently than showing it to a general audience you're trying to get to watch the show or you're trying to remind, "Hey, this is still coming out." You know, or maybe people who watched Book of Boba Fett were like, mm, maybe this isn't what I want." And then the trailer brings them back in, different things like that. With the Celebration one, you have a singular audience. You have Star Wars fans who are crazy about The Mandalorian, who are going to be excited to be in the room for a trailer. You could have just shown Din Djarin walking, and the whole place would have lost its mind. Like it's, It was an yeah. easier task to make a satisfying trailer for that. And I think like the... Uh, Soka trailer that we got there too is a testament to that because it didn't really show much. Like it showed the back of of uh, Ahsoka walking on the back of her head, walking onto the ship, a couple shots of her face. Like it wasn't like we got this whole big grand story. It was a couple clips, and we all lost our minds. So it's an easier task to to make a trailer for a singular audience than for a general audience. And so I think they kind of win by default there, but it still has me excited for the same things, this new trailer. It has me excited for, uh, you know, getting to explore Mandalorian culture more, getting to see more Mandalorians on screen, uh, getting to, getting back to Bo-Katan being a more complex character. Uh, mm -hmm. Because I think with season two of Mando and season seven of Clone Wars, we have all, and, and, I'm going to preface this by saying I absolutely love and adore Bo-Katan, um, and I'm excited to explore more of her character, but I think we've forgotten that her roots were with Death Watch, that she started off as a villain, that um, she's not just this white meat baby face, if you will, who you know wants to save Mandalore. Yes, that she is, and that's what she's doing, but she's a lot more complex than that. She has depths to her character that... I don't think we've been able to fully see yet, which I think has been intentional. I think they've been building it up because now when we have Bo-Katan and she inevitably, I think, turns and for a time being becomes the big bad in season two of Mando uh, because she wants the Darksaber, I think we're going to be a lot more invested in her uh, re-redemption. I guess yeah. uh, because she's kind of gets redeemed in in uh, Clone Wars when she leaves Death Watch to to join Obi Wan and help him out and uh, fight against the Shadow Collective. So we're gonna get like a second redemption for her possibly, uh, which will be really interesting because most of the time it's just like they're redeemed, ta da! Um, so I'll be excited to see that, and uh, honestly, I'll be excited to see if that happens. The fan reaction because it's like. Mm, Okay, so you're cool with it with Bo-Katan, but not with Luke Skywalker? But that's another conversation <laughs> for another day. Yeah, um, I, I, yeah, that that's a good point. And I think with... I, I Obviously, we're just speculating here. That's what we do, and that's why you're here uh, listening to us. Um, but I think with Bo-Katan, I think at first, my first reaction was like, he's going to try and t you know get her to just take it. And there's going to be like some fight... 
And is it going to be to the death? Is she going to fight him to the death? How's that going to work? What's it going to do? But now that I'm like thinking about it and I've had more time, it's like Din, Din doesn't really know where he belongs right now. He's always kind of clinged on to this uh, clan and, and that's his identity. And now his identity is a lot different. He's now a, a dad essentially a dad and he has been turned away from his clan but he's still a mandalorian he still belongs and so i think we're going to be finding out like bo-katan is very much of the old world in that sense the old mandalorian culture and i think that this season is going to be very much about like the fighting for something new how are we going to remain how are we going to remain if we can't change and mandalorians are a culture that literally has been imploding on top of itself by holding on to certain foundational culture or cultural things. They've just never, they, they have not been, uh, they, they had a point, at least in the old canon where they were at the height of everything. Like in the old Republic, the Mandalorians almost shut down the entire Republic with the Jedi while the Sith were still like technically existing and they shut it down and they lost at the end because they couldn't recover. They had a huge battle. And then once they had lost their leaders in fighting, just started taking much like the Sith. And this culture's a little, it's, it's quite the same, just fighting for power, fighting for structures. And I think Bo-Katan is doing what she thinks is good for her people, but what she doesn't realize is it's not because they keep imploding. They keep fighting. This dark saber, this, this saber to prove the most powerful leader, it's like it's literally the Sith, but not the Force. I mean, not literally, but it's a lot like the same thing. The strongest will survive. And it's like there's, there's so much imploding that I think this is going to be very much about carving a new future for Mandalore. And what, what's exciting is, at least to my knowledge, I could be wrong. There hasn't been much mention outside of the Mandalorian universe, like in the um, Rise of Skywalker era, about the Mandalorians. So there's so much room to 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 find out how this ends within the Mandalorian storyline itself. Yeah, and you know, it's interesting that you said like the Bo-Katan is from the old ways when Dinjarin is following even older ways, like she. Bo-Katan literally calls it like the the children of the watch are bringing back the ancient ways is what she says in the um, yeah. in the rescue. So it is these two ideas and views from the past that they're going to have to learn to adapt uh, to to the current galaxy. And, you know, like that's something that Luke Skywalker didn't do effectively. Like that was mm-hmm. part of his fall uh, from grace was he went back to the way that the Jedi were before because he just figured, okay, well, they were at the height of their abilities before. Like, let's go back there. Well, they fell for a reason. They fell from power for a reason. And part of that reason was the structure of of the community, if you will, that they built. And so that's not to say that there's nothing there in the past to, to take from, but if we don't adapt it to the modern life and the modern needs, it's going to definitely fall short and so i think we're going to get something where bo-katan and din Djarin are at odds i definitely think there's going to be something bigger out there that's going to come that's going to be a threat that uh you know unites them in some way uh or 
Bo-Katan is going to t- see the pure heart of Din Djarin because like that's the thing as as ruthless of a bounty hunter as he is he has a pure heart like he we see that in season two it's really all about that like season one is about breaking that that armor that shell that he has around himself in order to uh accept and love Grogu and, and his their role together and season two is really about just showing how pure he is how dead singularly dedicated he is to doing what he believes is right and so he's not going to back down from Bo-Katan but I also don't think he's going to have any interest in fighting Bo-Katan and those are fun storylines to me of like what's the line for you know each character that they will never cross what's the line that they say they'll never cross and they eventually do because of some other need and and how do we weigh and value those different needs i think we're going to see you know we saw uh grogu with the choice between the jedi and the mandalorians um in book of boba fett and i think we're going to see some very very similar uh conversations happening where Din is going to have to choose between, you know, the children of the watch who kicked him out of the Mandalorians and Bo-Katan who wants to accept him in. Uh, but his beliefs are different than hers. And how do we reconcile that? Maybe even some choices he has to make between his culture and Grogu and, you know, how that's going to move forward and things like that. And how do um, we pave the way for wanting our, our people to thrive and survive? Because that's what yes. the Mandalorians are right now. Right now they are to to be honest they're stubborn people they're they're stubborn people stuck in their ways that want to unite but they can't unite because they are stuck in their ways and stubborn how do we make sure our people thrive again how do we i mean you look at the trailer there's so much like implication you see a world that's ravaged whether or not you know what we know about uh the mandalorians you see a world ravaged that is the 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 uh the visual, you know, showing foretelling of where those people are at and how do we build something new again? How do we, how do we make our, how do we give our people a home? How do we have a home? And that's what it is. How does this father, I, you know, at least what I'm hoping to see, how does this father create a home, a place to live for his son and for his people they're they're hiding out in little bunkers on random planets they're moving around they have no place they're they're much and that's why i've always liked the mandalorians because they're literally the vikings i mean they just are they're looking for an, an a new place and every time they get together and something happens they they fight and it, it's just like how do how do we create a world where our people have a home and i love that story well and i think this is where bringing Sabine into season three could be really cool. Uh, I have a feeling they're going to introduce her in season three. I I think there's a better chance we see her than we see Ahsoka personally, because then you've got two characters that people have seen to then be in the Ahsoka show. But even more than that, uh, uh, Sabine has, has united different people together. Mm -hmm. She's built a family of, of a diverse community. Like she's, but she continued to honor and respect her Mandalorian ways. Like even when she was outcast, which Din Djarin is now like for some, for a wrong she did when she was young and didn't understand uh, really what was going on to being able to unite these different clans together under Bo-Katan when, when Bo-Katan originally had the dark saber 
uh, to being able to help build and unite this rebellion of so many different people and backgrounds and things like that. So I think to me, if I was telling the story, which obviously I'm not, and I'm nowhere near the level of, of uh, right. John Favreau or Dave Filoni, or I'd be having conversations with them instead of with you. Um, but, but like to me, that is the most obvious option is to bring Sabine in some way to be kind of a mediator between Din and Bo-Katan because I do think we're going to find some bigger threat going on um, that is going to, because I think rumor has it uh, season four of Mandalorian will be the last season. So I think you've got to go really, really big. And so I think, you know, this year having like season one was, was, you know, focusing on the Mandalorian season two was focusing on the Mandalorians. And then season three is going to be about like the different factions of Mandalorians and how they come together so that in season four, all of those Mandalorians can fight for one united purpose against a bigger threat. And so I think bringing in somebody like Sabine to kind of, who's had to face similar problems. Like she was, she was kicked out of Mandalore for creating a weapon that could destroy them, that could kill them, that could break down their Beskar. Like she wasn't, she wasn't clumsy like Jar Jar, and so she got kicked out. Like she literally was the reason the for many of her people dying and getting murdered at the hands of the Empire. Right, and she still found a way. And this is to me what makes her such a great hero, and part of the reason I love her so much is she found a way to overcome those those pains of the past, reunite herself with her family and with her culture, and have them accept her in this new version of who she was. And that's her story in Rebels, is that journey that she goes on. And so, to me, she's the perfect character where we can still focus on the Mandalorians. We don't have to have come, you know Ahsoka or some Jedi come in and save the day again. You can have essentially for this story a real person you know a real part of the community come and say like this is how we can bring it together which i mean i would star expect wars in the game too huh? she would be later yeah. in the game yeah her appearance when star wars star wars is like it's for all times but also the stories that they are telling now are very much of this time you know and it was the same with george like he was he was talking about the vietnam war but he was also saying something about World War Two and World War One and every war that's ever happened, um, and so I think in in this time when both within our country and and globally, even though we are all more connected than we've ever been, we're more fractured. I feel like than we've been ever in been. a very long time, possibly ever. Uh. Yeah, um, and and so I think a story like this can be impactful. It's, it's why I think a story like Andor is so good right now. Like it would have been good anytime but it's especially good now when we're seeing a rise in in political point of views aside like we're seeing a rise in fascist like ideas um and so stories at the end of the day stories are the most human thing ever stories are what save us stories are what convey our culture and our beliefs and things like that and so having our stories confront these things that we are dealing with at this time regardless of your perspective in the real world, I think is important to engaging in those conversations and and having uh, kind of a, a, a grounds and a foundation where different viewpoints can come together. And I think 
Mandalorian is going to allow for that um, and the building of, of that different universe. Like we got it a lot with Clone Wars and, and Rebels and stuff because it added to these stories we already knew. And so now you're doing that, but you're doing it all at the same time with Ahsoka and Skeleton Crew and Mando and, and Andor and all of these shows happening at the same time. The conversation is constantly evolving, and I think that's really important. Absolutely. And I, you know, again, uh, you know, all political things aside, I think it's important for our country right now because there are um, a lot of people with a lot of different views. And I think that most people want a country that thrives. We all want mm-hmm. something that is doing good things. Um, we all want to be proud of our home, whether we are right now or not. We all want to be proud of where we live. We all want to be proud of our country. We want our people taken care of. How do we have these tough conversations where there are lines that are really tough for us to get past, but how do we have these conversations? It's an important story. The Mandalorian culture right now and the way that things have set up with the Mandalorian is how am I, you know, how am I going to be a dad? How do I take care of this kid? But also how do I create a future that he can actually thrive in? And that's what, that's the conversations that I think America needs right now. And I think it's important for us to hear that, to hear this, the world really, the, and this is an important reflection on, you know, depending on how this goes, where things could lead. And I, I'm, I'm constantly, the the Mandalorian tells Star Wars in a way that feels like Star Wars, but also does exactly what George did in Star Wars was telling big stories that you don't realize until you step back and take a look. Right, right, and yeah, 100%. I hundred percent appreciate. It. I do want to say before we we wrap up though, um, you guys had seen the trailer from Celebration, and just I've watched this trailer a boatload. Uh, the the general like. I always like to go what the average fan thinks about these things. Um, and I've been getting a lot of buzz from like people who don't watch the Mandalorian about the trailer. Uh, I think the NFL games like them posting these trailers on the NFL games is so important because even my dad was like, he wasn't trying to talk to me. He was, we were talking in a group of, of painters. We were all working and he was like, did you see that Mandalorian trailer? He's like, I'm thinking I might check it out. And the reason why people are going to check it out, it's because it literally, like, if you look at this trailer, it has something from every single era. So it has hints of the old or the original trilogy, hints of the prequels, and even hints of the Rise of Skywalker era. It has action. It's completely action-packed momentum, and it really kind of it doesn't spoil things. So you'd still want to learn the context if you did want to watch season one and two. But it's a good like kind of visual guide of like where we're at now which is going to be okay for people like if they wanted to like jump in. They won't get the full even half of it in my opinion, but it's enough to like know what's going on in this story. It is it's a perfect trailer for an average fan. Cool people in armor and like even the way Bo-Katan is sitting on a throne. It's very much like, "Hey, you like Game of Thrones? Here's a throne." It's stupid. It sounds stupid, but it works. Like no, it seeing does. people sitting on a throne is great. Like it, it just it, it works, and this trailer is really good for the average fan, and I think it's going to get a lot a lot of people on board. Not that I mean, the Mandalorian's already huge, but the sky's the limit. Yeah, it's a cultural phenomenon at this point. Yeah, like, and and I think what's left is the NFL guys who haven't checked it out. I think they're the only <laughs> ones left. Like my dad, if I can get my dad to watch Mandalorian, you know. That's that's yeah. like your winner right there because it's not like my dad doesn't like Star Wars, but he watched it because I was a kid. 
and he liked it when I was a kid. And he hasn't checked out any of this stuff, but I think there's a a good chance that he might because it's a wholesome show. It's you know it's family friendly still, and it's uh it's got a lot of action. But I, I'm excited. I'm I'm excited for Mandalorian. I've I haven't been this excited for Star Wars probably since the rise of skywalker like walking into that theater with knowing that the mandalorian was wrapping up soon after it's very exciting it's very very exciting yeah i'm pumped it's gonna be a busy year a hectic year but definitely a good one too and that means that clashing sabers and all of our other shows are going to have a lot to talk about uh brandon do you want to take the time out to talk about what we've been doing here at clashing sabers what we're doing uh right now um as you guys are listening what we're trying to accomplish and you know some of our other shows that we uh do here yeah so if you like mando or high republic um we have a chance right now for you to win some some signed books and prints uh for our annual fundraiser the book batch uh so for those of you who might not be familiar, we are also a nonprofit that puts Star Wars books into classrooms across the country. Uh, and so every year we do a raffle. We get some great uh, Star Wars creators to sign products for us um, for, for you guys to win and uh, and also at the same time help us put books into classrooms. So we've got uh, Misty Rosas, who is the character actor for it, the one in the costume for Quill and Frog Lady. Uh, we've got some signed stuff from her. Her. We've got Claudia Gray signed books. We've got uh, Zoraida Cordova uh, is signing a copy of Convergence. Uh, we've got Mike Chen signing and personalizing a copy of Brotherhood. All of these things that you guys can win by by entering our raffle there. Um, and, and every penny goes to supporting uh, getting books into classrooms. Like we... The only thing we use the money for is literally buying the books and shipping the books. Uh, all the other... Per- products, uh, little, you know, business cards and bookmarks and things like that, that I throw in these boxes and stuff, uh, all are out of pocket so that we can make sure that a hundred percent goes to, to these kids. So right now we are at, uh, at the time of this recording at $185 of our, uh, $1,000 goal. So we need a good little push. So if you can, we'll have the, the link in the show notes and just hop on over there. Uh, if you are not able to financially, that's okay too. Just if you could help spread the word, uh, post it on your Facebook page, on your Twitter page, text your family, be like, hey, this is a good cause. Um, because, you know, kids kids deserve books, kids need books, and um, there are very few things that are as high interest um, as Star Wars for, for today's generation. Um, it's it's really impactful for these students and we are just trying to, to support them. So we're doing that. Um, and again, all the links will be in the show notes. And then we've got all of our, our various other shows. I'm on the the flagship show with Drew and DeVore and on uh, don't burn the sacred text with Lindsay. Uh, we have forever star Wars. And uh, now we have a larger view of the force that are uh, on, on the network. And uh, we've got more stuff coming, more things that are going to be coming out with Patreon here uh, in the next couple of months and uh, a lot of other exciting stuff happening. So you definitely want to stay tuned, uh, subscribe to the network so you can get all of your shows in one nice, neat feed wherever you found Sith Talk. And uh, just finally, I just want to promo uh, February 7th, which is going to be uh, Star Wars Podcast Day. 
A. There's going to be a lot of great uh, creators putting out content. So if you're looking for more Star Wars uh, podcasts, that'll be a day to go find. Um, and you can follow them on Twitter at Star Wars Pod Day uh, and see. I think we're at 56 shows is the last number I remember. That'll be putting out episodes that day to celebrate. Uh, and we will have uh, two, two coming out that day on the network here. Awesome. Awesome. Well, guys, with that all being said, it's been another fun episode of Sith Talk. And until next time, may the force be with you. Batch 8. All Clashing Sabers productions are the intellectual property of the Clashing Sabers Network and ClashingSabers.net. All licensed sounds and images are the property of their respective copyright holders and are used for informational and educational purposes only. For more information on our nonprofit or to nominate a teacher, go to ClashingSabers.net. For questions or inquiries, please email us at ClashingSabersNetwork at gmail.com. You're just going to walk away?